Welcome to the podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Joshua Black. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in and listening to another episode. I'm always grateful for your listenership and taking the time to listen to our stories and the journeys of those who come on the show. I know it means a lot to them. For sure. Today, we have special guest Caitlin Gallant. Uh, she is currently working towards her Master's of Arts in Psychology, Behavioral and Cognitive Neuroscience at Brock University and will commence the doctoral program at Brock in September. She completed her Honors Bachelor of Arts in Psychology at Bishop's University in Lenoxville, Quebec, where she first discovered her passion for neuropsychology. Overarching goal of Caitlin's research is to aid in the prevention of mild head injuries and educate others about their behavioral, cognitive, and social consequences. Currently, her research focuses on concussive and subconcussive injuries in sports and how they can affect socio-emotional functions such as theory of mind and empathy. Her aim is to develop a better understanding of head injuries and their neuropsychological sequelae to develop strategies to facilitate social reintegration. Caitlin also assists in the assessment and rehabilitation of individuals living with mental health challenges through a placement in the mental health unit at the St. Catharines Hospital. In the future, Caitlin aspires to register as a clinical neuropsychologist and provide mental health services in rural regions where access to care is limited. Caitlin, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on. It's such an interesting topic. We love sort of people coming on because they have a different perspective on the world. And this is a lot of stuff that, you know, we wouldn't normally sort of talk about in our day-to-day lives. So thank you for coming on and look forward to asking some cool questions. Yeah, I'm definitely excited. So what actually led you towards getting into the, this field? Was it something um, that like your parents were really like pushing you on or did you just take university and say, hey, I like this topic? Mostly um, in my, I guess it would have been my second or third year, I had a neuropsychology course um, and we were learning about CTE, which is chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is basically this condition that's been sort of, it's a neurodegenerative disease that's been affecting football players who sort of suffer these like repeated hits to the head. And it was something I never had thought about before. And it was something that really interests me as someone who's played sports for a lot of my life, specifically soccer. So I sort of like that sort of piqued my interest a little bit. And then um, from there, I went to do uh, undergrad thesis, sort of on the topic of head injury in sports and specifically headballs in soccer. So that kind of, it's kind of where I got started on the topic. No way. Didn't I mention that before we started this podcast about the soccer headball thing? No, I don't think you did. Oh, you didn't hear that? Okay, well, I, I made a joke. You didn't hear it, obviously. went over your head. Um, that's another pun, soccer ball. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, read, I had read a while ago about different types of sports and their chance of, you know, causing concussions and head injuries. And I was shocked because soccer didn't really register because, like, I was, like, fighting, okay, boxing, all right, hockey, yeah, I got it, football. And then I had read soccer, and then I looked into it, and the main reason is, like, when you – take headers obviously they're allowed in soccer you know you you essentially you know you you, that the ball hits your head and then you know you go from there they're coming at like 70 80 kilometers miles per hour actually i think it was miles per hour and so Mm -hmm. if if a soccer player kind of starts their career at a young age and all the way up to professional level level that's a lot of uh balls that they're hitting with their head which can cause trauma right yeah absolutely and like it's a head unlike other sports you you know you don't have a helmet and 
um, basically what I was trying to like distinguish between was people who get sort of formal training how to head the ball. So there's like a very specific technique. You sort of like brace the neck and the head, you know, you hit it on a very specific spot of the head, but then versus people who don't necessarily have that training. And so like, you're going to like twist your neck, you're going to like, you know, hit the top of your head and things like that. So um, yeah, definitely like over time that can have sort of uh, can have like an accumulated effect. Mm-hmm. Do you still play soccer now? No, I don't. <laughs> Not that it was just because of sort of like getting interested in this topic. It's funny, actually, when I did play soccer, I never I never did head balls. There was just something about it that I was like, mm, not going to do that. It doesn't seem like fun. <laughs> but yeah, I don't play soccer anymore, unfortunately. Um, just not enough time in the day. <laughs> well, yeah, now you're going to Brock and, and doing your MA. So it seems like a very interesting topic. So why did you did you do your undergrad at Brock? Uh, no, I did my undergrad at uh, Bishop's University in Quebec. Okay. And then, so what led you to come to Brock? To be honest, it was really um, because of the research that my supervisor was doing. So she's one of the only people that studies mild head injuries and specifically subconcussions, which is something that I was particularly interested in. And I, I sort of emailed with her back and forth, and then she invited me to come visit, and she was lovely and I had a great time here meeting her students and it just seemed like a very welcoming place Um, and she also you know has opportunities for clinical placements and things like that so that was of interest to me. So what's a sub-concussion or sub-concussive injury? So sub-concussions aren't quite uh, they're not well defined I guess and it's sort of the literature on that is somewhat recent but at the moment sub-concussions are defined as sort of any impacts below the concussive level and um, that are not associated with any symptoms of concussion. So still sort of causes that movement of the brain inside the skull, but not necessarily, it's not associated with any symptoms of concussion. So um, they're really these asymptomatic impacts that um, are typically associated with sports, but they can be associated with other things. Like they've been associated with um, individuals that are like victims of abuse. They've been associated with um, military personnel. So there's sort of other areas, but predominantly they've been, they've sort of, a lot of the research has been done in sports. Is it true? Because I, um, you know, when I have looked into this a little bit, obviously not at the level that you're looking into it, but I've looked at into it. I think the subcussive ones are can be obviously they're they're higher in quantity. Is that correct? Like yeah. pe- people Absolutely. go through that more, and so you're yeah. it's a lot less that you're getting actually like full out concussions. But I think that's the hidden danger because you have certain sports. If you're just looking at the sporting world, boxers, you know, MMA fighters. Uh, football players, linemen, that's a great example, is linemen are doing constantly, you know, hitting each other every play. Their helmets are hitting helmets and they're getting these, what looks, what obviously is subconcussive because they're not, well, who knows if they're getting the symptoms or not. But, you mm-hmm. know, it's not showing directly. And then, you know, that could be, I don't know, you tell me, is that more dangerous? I don't know about necessarily, I think that they have sort of like compounding effects. So, that they don't necessarily work in isolation. I sort of view it as that, like, as you sustain more subconcussions, you sort of, like, encroach upon concussion or, like, a symptomatic, crossing a sort of symptomatic threshold, I guess is how I would describe it. But there's a lot of research that sort of shows that, well, first of all, with subconcussions, you don't really, well, even with concussions in general, you don't need to get hit to the head. You can just sort of have a hit to the body that causes your head to sort of jerk and it causes that 
acceleration, deceleration of the head. Um, but also there's like a lot of research showing that like it's not the number of times that someone gets knocked out, say in boxing, that predicts whether or not they're going to have neurodegeneration. It's really the number of rounds that they box, actually, that's more predictive of sort of these negative outcomes. So that's kind of interesting. It's not that like high impact blow that's going to knock you out. It's really these like the longer you stay in the ring and the more little blows you take to the head. So was so that what the movie Concussion with Will Smith was based on? Uh, yes. Essentially, it's based on CT or chronic traumatic encephalopathy. But uh, yeah, they. I mean, it's always a little bit exaggerated in Hollywood. But yeah, it, they do a fairly good job for the most part. Yeah, so it's about um, primarily about that and uh, sort of when that first came to light, the idea that there there could be consequences, and then there's the whole NFL controversy. And so, can you, I guess, just talk about some of the, I guess, effects um, of a concussion? Like, how do you even identify one? How do I identify a concussion? Well, there's certain symptoms associated with concussion. Well, first of all, symptoms are uh, first of all the sorry, concussions are underreported. Um, and that's a huge problem, especially in the, in the sports realm where people sort of want to like conceal, conceal this. So there's certain motivations to conceal injuries in the sports realm because people want to continue playing. People don't want to sort of be taken out of the game. But there are certain symptoms that people can identify if they've sustained a concussion. And again, it doesn't even have to be a hit to the head. Um, one of the main things that people don't recognize is that you don't need to lose consciousness to have a concussion. So um, concussion is actually just defined by a hit to the head that's sufficient to alter your state of consciousness. So an altered state of consciousness could be sort of like feeling confused, feeling kind of foggy. Um, you know, someone might say they got their bell rung. That can be considered a concussion. Associated with things like usually there's like nausea, uh, slurred speech, maybe balance problems, dizziness. Um, headache is probably one of the most common symptoms of concussion. A lot of people feel like fatigued. They might sort of have like ringing in the ears. But there's also certain symptoms that people don't associate with concussion. So there's a lot of things like irritability or like mood changes. Some people will have like inappropriate emotional reactions following concussion. And they don't, people typically don't associate these sort of acute symptoms. So these are all acute symptoms. Um, but our lab looks at these sort of more long-term symptoms of concussion, which I can talk about in a bit more detail if you'd like. But we focus on more sort of barriers to social reintegration. And we don't really discriminate between like whether you had a concussion last week versus if you had a concussion, you know, six or seven years ago. So um, what's interesting is that we are finding effects, you know, if even in these individuals that have had concussions, you know, several years ago, we're still finding that there are subtle effects. And what would the subtle effects be in? So I focus on sort of emotional processing and things like uh, theory of mind, which is your ability to take other people's perspectives. And so what I've found is that individuals with a previous concussion are not as good at putting themselves in someone else's shoes, not necessarily to the point where they're completely terrible at it, but they're not as good as people that haven't had a concussion. So they're not as good at discriminating between sort of correct. Um, I have like a task that I use and they're not really as good at, at discriminating between like the correct emotion that someone's feeling versus sort of incorrect distractors that I have in this task in comparison to sort of healthy individuals. We've also looked at things uh, linked to empathy. Um, we find that individuals with a previous concussion maybe don't rate sort of negative images as negative as you and I might uh, rate images. 
we've looked at like impaired decision making, things like individuals aren't as sensitive to punishment or sort of ne the negative consequences of decisions. So we've sort of looked across the board at a lot of different barriers to social reintegration. We've also looked at things like drinking behavior. There's a lot of, um, but they're all very subtle. So rather than people, what people might typically focus on. So like these individuals, they're in university, they're not failing their classes. They're not, they're doing well, but in comparison to their cohort, there are these subtle differences. I think that's interesting. Yeah, even subtle dif differences are very interesting to talk about uh, and worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Because especially like the theory of mind, something we take advantage of, um, the sense of understanding someone else's perspective, because that's how that's communication, right? Like if you can't communicate properly with another person, uh, understand what they're going through, or what they're what they're feeling, well, you're not going to give them that space to to be heard, because there, there could be a lot of arguments based on misperceptions and different things like that. That's fascinating. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's what these individuals that sort of do have this like impaired theory of mind or impaired empathy. It's sort of like, it's not the idea that they don't understand that someone would be sad in that situation. It's just they don't sort of feel that they don't feel that sadness in the same way that someone um, without a head injury might. So again, they're going to, as you mentioned, sort of not be, they're going to come across as uncaring and then they're going to come across as, you know, unsupportive and maybe more callous. And then over time, that's going to, you know, take a toll that, you know, they're not going to be able to relate to others as well. Is there, do you look at brain scans in your research and studies? So I don't particularly in my research, um, everything we actually look at, we use uh, indices of physiological arousal. So we look at things like, um, we look at like heart rate, blood pressure, specifically our main measure is EDA or electrodermal activation, which is really sort of like your sweat response. So we look at minute changes in your sweat response. And specifically, that's how we pick up on this sort of idea of not getting these the same sort of emotional experience. So um, we use physiological arousal as like an index of that. So we basically use the po uh, we use the polygraph, which is like the lie traditionally known as the lie detector, but we use it again as a means of getting at this sort of like physiological arousal level. So we don't oh, look at okay. brain scans, okay. but um, we use that as an index of sort of disruption to. Um, an area that regulates physiological arousal, an area of the brain. So you're talking about after, after the person's been diagnosed to have a concussion or con or subconcussive, uh, what, what, I don't know what the term for that is. But yeah, um, after yeah. that, you, when you're looking at the behaviors and emotions, then you use this type of equipment to kind of study that. Yeah, sort of. So everyone in our study doesn't necessarily, they don't necessarily have a diagnosed concussion by a medical professional. So that's kind of, I guess, unique about our research that we sort of ask people if they've ever, if they've ever um, sustained an impact or a force to the head um, sufficient to alter their state of consciousness. So that's sort of the way that we capture a mild head injury or a concussion. Because um, that way, because most people don't go to the um, doctors and get diagnosed with a concussion. So we sort of have people answer that question, but we only have people answer that question at the end of our study. So we don't really recruit on the basis of head injury status, yet we typically have around 40% of our samples have had a previous head injury. So we sort of do all our measures and, and then we kind of have at the end, they fill out a questionnaire and it's sort of like embedded in there that they don't even know we're looking at head injury. And then when we sort of like analyze everything, we just do find this very robust pattern that it's always, you know, 
we do find differences between the two groups, like head injury, no head injury. Wow. Have you ever had a head, in- head injury yourself? Uh, yes, I have. I've had a, I had a concussion when I was probably in grade four, I think it was. I was sliding down a, an ice hill, which is super smart to do. And I think someone's knee hit me in the head. Um, and uh, yeah, I had those sort of very characteristic symptoms of concussion. So I think I had like nausea and like blurred vision. And so I, I did go to the doctors and get it diagnosed as a concussion. But mm. yeah, but it I, clearly I don't apply to any of my stuff that I research. I've overcome <laughs> all that. So <laughs> we'll have to put you on the polygraph uh, to t- t- test that out. Oh, I've put myself, I've tried it on myself. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and you have empathy. That's good. <laughs> I have empathy. I like to think so, but uh, there's a you know there's some research that shows that having a good cognitive reserve can sort of uh, protect against some of the symptoms. So <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, <laughs> try yeah, not to study myself too much. Yeah. Well, you don't want to get, go down that road because you might not like what you find, right? So. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah. I remember. Yeah. Like as we're talking, I had a flashback of when I was a kid. I was playing soccer, but I didn't head the ball. I I ran into a pole, the soccer pole, the soccer post. I feel like that's almost worse. <laughs> yeah, well, cause I was looking back or something. I don't know if I was playing soccer or if it was just like getting chased, playing tag. I forget what it was. But I remember it was in gym class and I ran into the pole. But yeah, that would have, and I'm pretty sure I got knocked out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like actually lost consciousness? Yeah, lost consciousness. It wasn't an altered state. I think it was lost consciousness. I got back. It. And then I just went back. <laughs> then I just went back to playing um, after people You just came went back me. to playing? Yeah, man. I was, uh, I'm dedicated to wow. what I do. <laughs> if I'm playing tag, well, uh, <laughs> watch out. This explains a lot. You know, this explains his aggressive tendency, <laughs> especially during basketball and pool. That's <laughs> funny. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, sometimes pain can actually like exacerbate symptoms and then sort of like prolong recovery and sort of make mm. you more likely to have another concussion. So, yeah. so I think that, <laughs> that's good that I'm actually in academia now. I'm not in into playing sports as much as I used to. Right. So it's a safe environment for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, going on. So what exactly? So how like are you done your research now or have you graduated from your MA? What's going on with that? So I haven't graduated from my MA yet. Um, I wrote a draft. Um, it's currently sitting with my committee. So I may not be done my research. I'm not sure yet. But uh, so sort of it, that's currently where I'm at, I guess. So just kind of waiting for feedback from my committee about my um, my draft of my MA thesis. And then sort of hoping to start the PhD in September um, at Brock. Well, and same professor and same topic? Same professor, also looking at head injury, but sort of switching a little bit um, in terms of, um, I guess, the focus and sort of like the, um, I guess, sort of uh, behavioral or emotional outcomes that I'm looking at following head injury. Well, I've decided to sort of change a little bit in that regard. I guess, I guess, since we talked about sort of symptoms and and stuff that can happen after um, head injury, can you talk about maybe some of the recovery process? So I know you work at a hospital. Um, can you talk about sort of things people can do if maybe they had a head injury and, you know, different things that they could do? In terms of acute care, I guess, for a concussion. So one of the most important things is to sort of just give yourself time to rest and sort of not overstimulate yourself to, you know, people typically, it's typically people recommend like seven to 10 days of sort of rest to just give your brain that time to recuperate. So 
Um, and during that time, you know, people aren't, if you're in school, it's like typically you're not doing work during that time. Um, again, just not overstimulating yourself, you know, not on your phone constantly. Cause again, that's just sort of um, not allowing yourself the time to, to recover. So that's sort of typically immediately sort of post-concussion. Um, that's one of the things. Um, it's also good to go to your medical professional because then you can also sort of have that documented, which may be important later on. Like we sort of see that at the hospital all the time that we'll be working with someone and, you know, we always do a very thorough intake interview and we'll always ask them, have you ever had a history of concussion? Because of course, if there's, if there's nothing on their file, we just like to be sure and ask anyways. And sure enough, when you prompt people, they will say, well, oh, there's that time, you know, I like got pushed into the brick wall or something. They have like a crazy story about like that was a pretty big head injury, but it's not sort of noted on their file. So sort of makes it difficult to because that's sort of a piece of your story, right? Like we need that kind of information to, because it might have led to sort of other types of behaviors or things like that. So I think going to get that sort of documented as well and just sort of if you need time off school or something like that to have sort of that medical documentation, I think is important. I know the sort of, in terms of schools, they don't really, there's not a lot of, it's not recognized a head injury as a, an exceptionality at the moment. Um, but I know um, they're sort of working. I know Brock has a concussion policy, so there's sort of, there's advances being made in that re that area. But um, I guess that's sort of like immediately post-injury. There's a lot of strategies our lab always comes up with in terms of helping with these like sort of long-term symptoms that we've identified um, and a lot of research being done in our lab currently. So um, we're doing research looking at uh, mindfulness as a means of assisting those and sort of um, alleviating post-concussive symptoms. So one of the main things that we noticed, um, which I sort of, I guess I haven't quite mentioned yet, but we use physiological arousal as a sort of measure following injury. And what we find is that those with a previous head injury are physiologically under aroused. So they have lower levels of arousal at baseline. So um, using something like mindfulness, we try to sort of, our goal is to try to boost arousal. So we've We've tried a number of techniques to do that because um, if we can sort of, because we believe that the under arousal is what leads to a lot of these symptoms. So if you're sort of chronically under aroused, you're not, you're sort of like fatigued, um, you're maybe more irritable because you're sort of at this like lower baseline level. And so we've looked at things like mindfulness. We've looked at using like music as a means to boost arousal. We've also are sort of looking at right now uh, pharmacological interventions. So we sort of have all these things that we're trying to do to boost arousal. Um, so that's kind of where we're currently at. That's amazing. And it's amazing you guys are trying to find new ways to help people um, with a, you know, it's not new, right? Like concussions have been around or head injuries have been around since the beginning of time. So it's nice that you're actually mm -hmm. trying to play with different new ways to help those individuals as they move forward in life. So I wish, you know, you in your career and also your lab great success and and to raise awareness on the topic that is definitely yeah. i think is in the news now with you know sydney crosby and sort of the movie being of uh, the football people and um nfl all that sort of stuff so it's getting more knowledge but you said like kids still need to know this in public schools and stuff so yeah so moving forward now on grief have you ever lost anyone um, yes, I have. So my uh, grandfather, so my um, dad's father, um, he's pretty much the only person really close to me that I've that I've lost. And uh, yeah, that was a, a difficult time. 
And when was that? Um, I would have been in grade 11, so around 2007 or 2008, 2008, I guess. And so what was your relationship like with him? Um, I was really close with him. Um, that was sort of when people were still sort of the days of MSN and sort of um, really sort of email. People weren't, I wasn't super into using email yet, or that wasn't really a thing that people did frequently. But my, my grandpa always had sort of, he was up to date with technology a lot. So he, um, oh, wow. I would uh, correspond with him through email, even though he lived really close, but <laughs> sort of just like, he would send me like joke pictures and stuff. And like, yeah, I was really close with him. We would go visit them a lot. Um, so yeah. And so what was that, that like? You said it was it was a tough time for you. What was some of the challenges you went through? Well, I guess it was just sort of that was the first time I had ever experienced anything like that. Um, and he was sick for a while. So I think it was something that I maybe at the time knew that he like there was the potential for that to happen. But I think it was something that I had never really like thought about, like, what if it happened? And it was sort of something that he because he um he had had like several heart attacks but he had always sort of came out of it so i always just sort of like the last time it happened i kind of just had that idea that maybe i guess i just didn't really think about that there was the sort of potential for something like that to happen so it was really difficult and also seeing i have younger siblings so it was really more difficult as well seeing them deal with that and sort of just see my family like that because i'd never like i said my family had never gone through anything like that so i think that was also challenging. Wow. Yeah, I know. Yeah. The first time you lose someone, it is, it's a shock because there's nothing that can really prepare you for the feelings that come up and the challenges for that. So yeah, I can definitely understand what that aspect uh, that you had to deal with. And so hmm. what do you guys, do you guys do anything like um, kind of memorials or anything when it comes to your grandfather, uh, like together as a family um, anymore? Well, my grandmother goes to church quite often. So um, every year she'll have a mass um, in his honor. So usually I'll try and go down for that if I can. But other than that, my grandfather was very much the type that he, so he would, because my grandma would go to church, you know, all the time. But my grandfather was very much like, he wasn't a big fan of church. So he never went. So I felt like he he sort of would have been the type that he wouldn't have wanted us to sort of have this like, um, type of thing and even for his funeral it was just sort of like we had a thing at the church and then we there wasn't like a wake or an official funeral really it was just like we had like a, a mass at the church and then after we just sort of went to like a hall and had like sort of like a gathering where people just came to sort of like pay their respects but we never had sort of like a formal funeral um, and I think that was just because that's not what he would have wanted so I almost feel like not because even when I feel bad if I can't make it home for like going to church, I know that he sort of, that's not something that he maybe necessarily would have wanted anyway. So I still, we still like think about him and my parents, you know, and my family will, you know, when we're together, sometimes like memories will come up and we'll, we'll talk about him. But it's not something that I guess we have like an annual celebration or anything like that. Do you think if he was still alive today, he'd be into Snapchat and like Instagram and stuff? I often think about that. I don't think he'd be into Snapchat. Um, maybe like Instagram. I don't. He was very much like he would always. He always had a. He always had one of the most like recent cameras when we were younger because he was really into technology and he um, 
would often take photos of us. Like he would come to our soccer games. He would come to our school and things like that. He would often, um, he was big on Photoshop programs. So he would often like Photoshop my face on like some silly body or something, or he would like make these like silly Photoshop things. So I don't know, like, so he might be into be... Snapchat. <laughs> That's basically Snapchat. Maybe, but I don't know if he's like. Be the... I'm just picturing like using a filter or something. Yeah, like, I was, I was just thinking... gonna say rainbows coming out of his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> the puppy dog, like I don't know. That's <laughs> funny. Well, he seemed like a really interesting guy, and he seemed like he had like some really cool hobbies, and he was ahead of his time in that age category because you know. Uh, my grandparents definitely didn't use any of those things or email or any of that stuff. So it just makes me think of like what we're going to do uh, to maybe our grandkids. And like, you know, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, just uh, on to the subject of dreams, because we love talking about dreams. Have you had any dreams of your grandfather? I was trying to think about this if I had any like recently. I don't think I've had any. I think after the incident, I definitely did. But I think it was more sort of um, like memories, I guess just sort of like thinking about like just sort of good times and things like that. Yeah, do you remember any of the any of the specific memories? I guess just sort of like things like um we used to go camping in the summer. Um we would spend the summer camping and my grandparents also had a camper, so just sort of things like that that we would spend the summer, you know, at the at the park kind of hanging out with them, um and you know, visit from our camper, go over there for dinner and like have barbecues and things like that. So sort of more specific memories, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I've heard that before, people having memories in their as their dreams. And I think that's really cool, positive memories, right? So it's not those negative reenactments. It's actually a positive memory. And a lot sometimes it's memories that they've forgotten. And so I think that's really cool. And so if you could, what dream would you want to have? Um, I think the positive ones, uh, like sort of these memories, I think that's sort of the dreams that I would want to have. Yeah, I think sort of like reliving sort of any of those positive times. I think that's that's something that I would want to have, I guess. Is there a specific memory you want to sort of replay? Anything specific? I don't think so because I, I can't think of like a specific yeah, I can't think of anything specific because I was over, like, we spent so much time with my grandparents. It's sort of like they, like I grew up with them and can't really. Maybe at their house, yeah, just visiting them. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to, I can't think of anything specific. I just, like, remember my grandpa as, like, who he was and, like, sort of he, you know, was a big fan of the Leafs. How he about, pipe, I got, I got a suggestion. <laughs> I have a suggestion. How about you're at the house. You know, you're showing grandpa how you Snapchat. And he's excited. He's happy. I don't think he'd be very excited about how I Snapchat. I don't think he'd be thrilled about my use of the bunny filter. He'd be giving you tips. He's like, you're doing it wrong. That's cool. At the end of the day, you know, people have different ideas what they want. It seems like you just want to remember... Um, the memories that you had and maybe even some new ones that you sort of forgotten about because you said like it was it's kind of difficult to pick one specifically so yeah maybe a forgotten memory or something right yeah I think just like his character of like he was just such a funny funny guy and like just sort of like did whatever he wanted and I think like but like in a funny way that kind of yeah I just like like to remember sort of that and how he was like that and would you want to be your age now or as a child or like at the age of a memory. I think I'm only my age now, actually. Now that I think about it. Cool. Because I mean, I was so young too, right? And I feel like, yeah, I'd be. I don't even know what he would think of in terms of like 
what I'm doing now. I don't know what he would think about concussions and all that <laughs> research um, because he was sort of a big proponent of, you know, fights in hockey and, you know, you can't take hitting out of the game. So I don't know. Uh, it'd be probably some interesting conversations. So maybe I guess I would want to have sort of some type of conversation about that and see his opinion on that. Well, you know what? I think he'd he'd uh, be very receptive to the idea of the work you're doing. He'd be he'd be proud of you because you're doing some really great work for society at large, you know. It's not just sports, it's other things, you know. Kids get into fights when they're in in, in school and stuff like that. You know, people have car accidents. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is helping us understand each other and what might trigger some of these things and, you know, emotions that we're having. So, thank you for coming on and telling us about your work. Your very important work. Thank you for that. We appreciate that. Do is do you have any area where people can reach you or ask you questions or something? Well, I I Just have my three minute thesis um, video that I am probably going to be posting soon. I don't know if I'll post it on. I'm gonna post it somewhere. Um, but I have um, our well, our, our lab website is really outdated, so I've been trying to update that. I have a research paper on um, headballs and soccer and how that sort of my undergrad thesis. I have a publication on that. I don't know if that's sort of... Yeah, excellent. Yeah, please. So people just Google that? Um, yeah. I, it's on ResearchGate, but it's in the journal Current Psychology. Excellent. We'll put a link to it. We'll, we'll uh, allow people okay. to find that out and uh, do that. So yeah, Caitlin, again, thank you so much. We appreciate it. And uh, you know, again, it's important work. Keep doing it. You know, Keep doing what we need to, what we need to learn about and have more information in society. Well, thank you thank for you. having me. You're welcome. Uh, so please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. If you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams Facebook group. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Grief Dreams. Podcasts can be found on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. And as always, we'd like to end it with love and gratitude from us to you. The new beginning begins.